and welcome to another edition of the Heart Guide Media Podcast, Albums That Matter Edition. Today we are going to be covering Joey Ramone's posthumously released solo album, Don't Worry About Me. Of course, as always, here to discuss it will be Lewis Smith. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys uh, dig this one, obviously. More Ramones content your way, as always. And let's jump in right now. They already started doing it then. They already started the the episode. The first episode dropped on Thursday. Interesting. So, So at some point in the next, like... You know, maybe on like Sunday or Monday or whatever. Um, if you're not doing anything, Monday would probably be perfect. But um, maybe we should talk. We should have a little hot take on that Ramon shit and just, you know. Yeah, definitely. Get that out of the way for sure. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this. I'm trying to make sure that this fucking because this laptop's old as shit. Sometimes it uh, sometimes it'll stop recording. Nice. So, we've been rolling here for about 45 seconds, so I'm just making sure <laughs> so they're getting our, our tidbits. But here we are, the Heart God Media Podcast album that matters, uh, albums that matter, uh, Joey Ramones posthumously released self, t- not self, t- <laughs> don't, don't, don't <laughs> album Don't Worry About Me came out in February of 2002, uh, Almost a year after he had uh, passed away. Now, obviously, you know, with the loss of Joey in April 2001, the idea of getting, I mean, especially being as young as we were, the idea of getting a solo album with Joey Ramone, the ship, that ship had sailed. But these tracks were recorded, and I think a lot of them were pieced together after the fact. All the vocals were recorded, at least some takes. And, uh,. We have, it was produced by, of course, the almighty uh, Daniel Ray. Of course. Uh, executive producer, producer Charlotte Lesher, a.k.a. Mommy Ramone. And uh, Mickey Lee, a.k.a. Uh, Joey's brother. So the mother, and fa- the mother and brother are executive producers. So I'm going to guess that this was during the... Trademark any kind of trademark issues that were maybe starting to show their faces as issues once Joey passed because he him being the first Ramon to to pass. Um, yeah, obviously these weren't going. This album and any of its proceeds were not going to Ramon's Inc. AKA I believe it would be under uh, probably at the time Mickey and Charlotte and Linda Ramon, but. Uh, at the time, you know, we still had Dee Dee, uh, as well, but regardless, uh, so Joey Ramone sings lead vocals on all tracks. Daniel Ray plays guitar and backing vocals on all tracks. Andy Chernoff plays bass and vocals and backing vocals on all tracks. And we have drum appearances from Frank Frenaro, who is currently the, uh, drummer in Guns N' Roses and has been since about... Uh, a few months into the Chinese Democracy album that came out in 2008. Uh, oh, shit. He might even have been there a little bit before that, actually. But, of course, uh, the one, the only, Marky Ramone, appears on six tracks as well. And Joe McGinty on keyboards on four tracks. 
So that's the lineup we have. And uh, we do have uh, Captain Sensible from The Damned appears uh, appears on uh, Mr. Punchy. Uh, Dr. Chud appears on 1969, the uh, Iggy and the Stooges cover. Dude, and Jerry. And Jerry. Uh, Mickey plays guitar and backing vocals on Don't Worry About Me. And then we have uh, a few other uh, notables or lack thereof. Um, but those are, you know, obviously we have some uh, some punk royalty with some Misfit members, uh, Captain Sensible from The Damned. Uh, and, of course, the, the almighty, uh, Ramo- you know, arguably the uh, sixth Ramon uh, at whatever uh, five-person Ramones lineup you may have encountered uh daniel ray had been uh mm-hmm. very uh, a consummate addition to the ramones uh from from what brain drain on yeah uh so it had to be it had to be 88 87 88 on right yeah yeah for sure so uh when did you first uh discover the album Lou? so i'm i was really excited you know obviously like recently you know this this album had you know it's it's been it's been floating around for a while. I got into this album when I had I, I believe when I had first gone to college. It was one of those things where I, I know I told you about this before, but you know two thousand seven two thousand eight we'd all be sitting around in a dorm room on like a Wednesday night. Everyone would bring over their laptops. Everyone would bring over flash drives, whatever. Someone would have like a really really shitty bottle of gin. And we would just like go through each other's libraries, get to know each other a little bit, but, Oh, you like this. You'll probably like this, that type of shit. And I'd seen this album, you know, pretty much soon. We'll say like Oh three maybe and on, um, when I really, really started going to going more to music stores and, and really hunting for CDs and stuff. Um, obviously I never stumbled across this fucking, uh, the, the record anywhere, but, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, if they had even pressed it, which I would assume that they did, but I had, I had seen this and it was kind of, I had this warped mindset about picking this up because I knew it existed. But at the time, like when I was still buying CDs, it's like, I would rather buy, you know, I would rather get a copy of Road to Ruin on CD because I'm still working on their original collection versus picking this up. Right. And it's not that I took it for granted. It's just, I didn't get around to really, really listening to it until that point um, when I was in college. So a little bit later on, um, but I, you know, uh, it's fucking, it's great, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I actually discovered it uh, by accident, I think a week or two after it came out um, through going to Walmart, looking, you know, pawing through whatever CDs they could possibly have there. Cause at the time, you know, early two thousands, once in a while there would they would sneak in some random really random CDs would pop up in their in their uh, in their section and I remember seeing that I was like holy shit I didn't even know about this um pick it up uh loved it and uh you know it's um and for me it was already fitting with the the Ramones that I kind of had drawn up in my head already. Um, obviously way more personal it being a Joe, Joey solo album, but 
the hot pink uh, color of the CD, obviously the 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 header and the the title namesake on the bottom. Uh, the black and pink for some reason became like a staples in. I don't think in the time period that the Ramones were around, but afterwards, for whatever reason. Obviously, the anthology, too, with the big pink header. Uh, you see, so I, just, I don't know if you notice this, and I know this is a really random, like, uh, offshoot idea conversation topic, but did you notice the black and pink was working its way into a lot of Ramon's, uh, you know, stuff that was released after the breakup? Oh, dude, absolutely. The uh, That Joey Ramon uh, shirt that I have, which was from that tribute to Joey Ramon, like, show, that's black and pink as well. And I'm pretty sure, didn't they have one of their later anthologies or the second one or something? Or It was Ramon's anthology that was black and pink, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was uh, like the, what well, was the white cover with them on the front uh, with Marky? No, Marky? no the, the, this is like, oh, shit, what is it? I think it's a Rhino, like anthology or greatest hits or something like that. Um, I'll have to look it up, but it's definitely black pink and and i think just the logo or like a cropped version of the logo on there hmm i'll have to look you yeah if you find that one send it to me uh, yeah there were so I'll, many there was that's the thing too is as soon as joey died um there were so many uh you know greatest hits compilation things that were coming out oh yeah dude everywhere but i think you're definitely onto something like that black and pink just in general especially with the ramon stuff for whatever reason and I think I think you're 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 onto it where that color scheme was definitely more adopted by you know if you want to call them punk but but punk in general around that that time whether it was fucking Green Day was doing it um, who the fuck else even some of like the the pop punk shit and, and whatever like that scheme just kind of went well you know I feel like I saw fucking I don't know. Uh, Jesus Christ, I can't even think of the name of the fucking band. Anyway, yes, you're definitely onto something with that. That black and pink just in the scene in general. Because I have the, uh, it's actually, uh, I believe, part of the insert from um, the Adios Amigos album, the uh, poster that I have, the Ramones logo is in pink on that, and that that poster was produced in 1998. So we definitely saw, like, uh, that color scheme work its way in. I I just thought it was interesting. I had to mention it. Moving on. Um... So, um, so yeah, this is, like I said, I discovered this kind of like by accident right around the time it came out. So I immediately had to get it. Um, and it's, you know, it is definitely a a personal album for Joey. You know, Joey's going had been sick while going through and writing this album too. And, and doesn't live to see the release of it. Um, so that's, I mean, it, it has some heaviness to it. You know, and he even, you know, he even talks about his illnesses unrelated to the cancer that killed him. Um, You know, he actually mentions uh, his OD, uh, his OCD in uh, like a drug I've never done before or did before. You know, demons swirling in my OCD pond. My body is vibrating. I'm gone, gone, gone. You know, he's addressing, you know, things that people have talk about now about, you know, how uh, his obsessive compulsiveness had, uh, you know, weighed heavy on his uh, mental frame, and everybody else's for that for that matter. Um, 
So, you know, he's addressing his OCD, which I'm sure he had in Ramon songs, but it was very, you know, opaque and wasn't uh, as transparent. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a a personal album and and the the album title, you know, Don't Worry About Me. And then obviously it being the closing track, you know, him saying, you know, pretty much I'm probably not going to be around, but don't worry about me. Well, it's, I think it's it's definitely an album that matters specifically because, and, and this is kind of my take on it, especially after I got my hands on it and, and I spent time with it. Because, you know, I, I'd heard Wonder, what, what a Wonderful World a, a million times just in passing, whether it was added to somebody's playlist, it was included on a compilation that somebody had given to me, like punk compilation, whatever. It's like I'd heard that song, like his version of that song, but that was more or less kind of my only real foray into this album. And when I spend time with it, it's like it definitely and, and, and obviously this has a lot to do with Daniel Ray, but it definitely sounds like later Ramones era material or oh. what, what, what could have potentially been Ramones era material. But I digress. Why this album matters is because for the first time we're seeing somebody who always was kind of working in a cohesive manner with the rest of the band, whether they were getting along, whether they weren't, whether they were working in tandem with Daniel Ray, whomever it was. This is the first time that you had a representation of him and it was just more or less his his lyrics his his like kind of pop influence um and obviously like you said some of the more serious stuff um but it's it's just a really it's interesting to see that take where realistically the only ramon that had recorded on there was mark and he wasn't you know, he wasn't writing bass lines, <laughs> right. you know, like he was right. just playing. He wasn't drums, that so. much of an influence as far as uh, song structure went. Right. And, and what was also really cool too, is, is the tie in, especially because, uh, like with fucking churn off there, um, the, the bass player, it's like, it's cool to see that or sure enough in sure enough, it's cool to see that kind of that thread with like New York city. Cause like, you know, he's a fucking member of the dictators and like everyone, you know, besides the Stooges and, and the New York and the New York City scene, um, the Dictators were important and shaping a lot of those like early bands. So it's it's cool to see that that thread kind of continue. Where it's like, not only are we going to have like you know one of the producers slash writers you know that we've worked with since the late '80s, but we're going to have this kind of heavyweight, this guy who's been around the who's been around the fucking block. He's gonna do. He's gonna man up the baselines for this and uh, and help write. I, I I thought that was fucking that was cool. Like that, that was just such a, it was, it's timeless, you know, it's a representation of not only Joy Ramon, but like New York city's brand of, of punk rock. Like it was just, it's cool. It's cool to see that shit. Yeah. I mean, and if, uh, you know, that's what's, this is very, I mean, obviously on the second, uh, Joey Ramon album, that was another compilation piece. You get his New York city song. Um, but Joey Ramon and, and correct me if I'm, wrong if you or if you if you think differently but i think joey was the most new york out of all the band oh dude without a doubt he I... never left either you know dd and johnny had left um mm-hmm. i think tommy still lived in the i believe tommy even still lived in the forest hills um area but joey was very diehard in new york city Tommy lived in the same fucking apartment complex that his family emigrated to the U.S. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, dude, he I, could I, cut I, potatoes, I, and I couldn't do that. 
it was so organized. I just uh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't make a dinner. Dude, it, it's it's great because I mean you hit the nail on the fucking head, dude. He he was he was New York City, and New York City was him. If that makes sense. There's a and, there's a reason that the corner of Bowery and Bleecker has been renamed to Joey Ramone Place. Right, and it's interesting too because, like you said, it's like you know with the departure of like Johnny, you know, and, and Didi, it's like, I feel like they could have kind of fit in anywhere. If that makes sense. Like Johnny could just kind of melt into the background and do his thing. Fuck you. I'm doing me. I'm with my wife. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life, whatever. I'm going to hang on my Elvis room. Like he can kind of do that wherever, but he's in California, beautiful weather. Didi again, I feel like Didi is very chameleon. Like in, in a sense, like he could probably have a good time in Bridgeport, New York. You know what I'm saying? And nothing oh, yeah. against Bridgeport, New York, but like he you could probably and... find some solid drugs in Bridgeport, New York. <laughs> hang out at Lakeport, hang out at Lakeport Tavern and yeah. not get stabbed. You know, it's just like he could go and do that shit. Whereas I just I don't know. There's something there's something to be said for even though Johnny or even though Joey loved like you know surf rock and, and love songs and all that shit. Um, he's New York City. <laughs> I mean, he's New York City. Like, it, it's great that he kind of he was the he was the constant, you know, repping New York City. And never it's left. him being, uh, you know, obsessive compulsive uh, as well. You would think living in Manhattan, where he had lived, I think, where he spent his some of his final uh, years, how just. I mean, someone I couldn't imagine being having severe. At times, crippling OCD and living in New York City, the busiest city in the United States. Mm-hmm. He he probably had a hard time fucking getting out of his apartment door sometimes. If if the stories are true, based on the shit Monty was talking about in any number of those interviews, where even before they left the city, that they played the gig in the night before, he had to go back to the venue and walk up the stairs, down the stairs, close the door. Like if if that is true or, or rings true in any capacity. I can't even fucking imagine him living in, in Manhattan, New York. Yeah. Seriously. You know, let alone fucking Forest Hills or Brooklyn or any, any of the, any of the boroughs. It's like Manhattan out of all of them though. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude, do you like being stressed out? Yeah. You know? Literally the, the biggest hustle and bustle, busiest part of New York, you know, Manhattan times square, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just always found that fascinating, but of course, Everything about this band has always been fascinating and always twists your brain in in good and sometimes uh, not so good ways. But, you know, this, you know, opening the album, I thought it was interesting to open the album with a a song that actually appears in quite a few movies too. this this version of uh, Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. Uh, Amazing guitar playing on this one. and uh, the it's it's good. I mean, Joey was a covers guy. He loved being able to reprise songs from his youth and put his spin on it. Uh, throughout the Ramones, we saw that. But you know, it's 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 very apparent um, that a lot of the '60s pop stuff, or you know, in this case, you know, Louis Armstrong. Um, and you know, that's the thing. He he got painted, I guess, as a as a 60s pop guy but then you 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 get to see a little bit different sides of him with the what a wonderful world louis armstrong cover and then of course the the iggy and the stooges 1969 Mm -hmm. it's it's great to to see the dynamic too even between those two choices of cover songs in general um they're they're so vastly different and 
I mean, as both you and I know, as we've seen in countless fucking documentaries, we've read in, in countless interviews, books, everyone, especially on the East Coast, even in the UK and shit, it all, everyone fucking references the Stooges every single time in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, we were hanging out, and if, if you and one other kid fucking both listened to the Stooges in your town, then you started hanging out, like, whatever. And I find that to be extremely, like, like that was intentional. That was an intentional fucking choice for them to put that on there, because that's more or less being like, we are here because of you, you know? In, it, it, that's That's my thoughts on it. Because they're they're kind of these weird, great fucking godfathers or, or great grandfathers of, of punk, you know, right. of seventies punk or whatever. And it's um, and that that's the thing too. I and I do like that there, none of the Ramones ever shied away from the influence of Iggy and the Stooges as well. They never, you know, they never. As much as I I think part of them, especially in the nineties, wanted to. Uh, get the credit that they, you know, rightfully deserved. They mm-hmm. never, they were never the, you know, the type to really toot their own horn too much. They just kind of let their fans do that. Yeah, and and it's strange too. I, I don't know about yourself, but for me, it's like, I, like for example, I got fucking Valeri gave me raw power. I, I want to say maybe in ninth grade, and I there this. Iggy and the Stooges and the Stooges, they're good. For me, I just, I never really listened to a ton of it. So I can't speak to a ton of it, but I know that they exist. Every time you hear one of their songs, you can pick it out almost immediately. Oh, this is a fucking Stooges song, you know? And I find it very interesting. And that's why I kind of wanted to hear your take on it. If you had embraced it because this is one band or this is a group that we hear referenced. I don't know about you, but literally, Every fucking documentary about punk, like old school, or you know the the roots of punk rock, they constantly reference this band constantly. I mean, and I discovered the Stooges. I want to say through like something like SLC Punk because um, they had 1969 was on that soundtrack, and I I mm-hmm. had the soundtrack to that as well. And that's my kind of dive into. So I was already in the into the Ramones, but at the time, yes, any interviews with anything relating to the genre or the Ramones, um, the Stooges were always, you know, in tow. And I checked them out, and I love the Stooges. Um, I will say that I love uh, Iggy's solo work better because um, I, I think Iggy's, uh, you know, still a walking god. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, you know, the Stooges and MC5 is another one I think you're starting to see over the last 10 to 15 years that people are starting to give them their just due band out of detroit michigan uh you know that was had that that punk fire and that adrenaline and the craziness and the radical ideas you know partnering and fighting alongside with the black panthers during the 60s i mean fucking wild yeah fucking wild i mean talk about i mean and here's the thing too you know, the MC5, I believe that first record came out in, I want to say, 68 or 69. And, uh, you know, kick out the jams, motherfucker. Like, who was saying that at that time? No one. No one. So so anyway, not to not to get off on a tangent about that shit. Um, but I do have a theory. So I want to get your hot take on something. Because you, you mentioned it at the top of the episode. And 
I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, specifically because of the time when this album was, was recorded and released, but also how it was released. So you mentioned that this the money was released vis-a-vis uh, Mama Ramon and fucking Mickey Lee and whatever their copyright and, and or trademark is not Ramon's Inc., i.e. Linda, okay? So how do you think and and why do you think Mark... Like, how do you think he benefited from this? Because, you know, he wasn't getting it. Like, he got paid, of course, to do this album. But, you know, how he's kind of been cozying up. At one moment, he's like, yeah, I'm cool with Mickey. And then it's like, oh, now I'm cool with Linda because she's selling fucking socks. You know, so it's like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on, on his play in all this. I mean, and two, I don't know if he drummed on these tracks after the fact. I don't know if he, he drummed on the That's tracks true. after Joey died because I could obviously see Mickey approaching Mark and be like, hey, we're putting out this Joey record. We would love to have you on it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Mark would have – I mean, I don't think Mark would have done it for free, but that's just going by how I think of and, and see how Marky is now. But I'm sure he could have. Um, but it's funny we talk about the release of this. It's actually put out by Sanctuary. Now, Sanctuary was a, if I'm not mistaken, it is a, a, it's a unit of BMG Entertainment. So it is, uh, BMG was, I think, at the time, or it was soon to be bought by Sony. Now, I think, I think Sony was already, already owned it, but it doesn't say Sony anywhere here. So I don't think that they did. But when Sony bought BMG, the, the subsidiary, uh, you know, offshoot <coughs> farm club record labels like Sanctuary <coughs> kind of went into limbo. And I think the, the rights to Sanctuary Records went to, uh, were bought and privately owned for a while until recently. Because an- another few records that were released on Sanctuary, um, which I believe Morrissey had a record released on Sanctuary, if I'm not mistaken. I know that uh, Anthrax did. And those records, up until last year, you couldn't find on like digital formats or anything like that. You had to find the original press CDs. Um, oh, because Sanctuary was privately owned at that point. I'm unsure about the split from BMG. I think maybe when Sony uh, acquired BMG, BMG then... They owned BMG, but they didn't own... There had to have been options where the the subsidiary labels, the you know, like the farm club, uh, indie labels that were you know, uh, owned by all you know, or parented slash distributed by Sony, but put out through that label, uh, was privately owned. Uh, Sanctuary was, and until recently, I think a lot of these records are. I I I don't think it has anything to do with the Sanctuary Records label being bought or the rights to the Sanctuary catalog being bought. It may be private masters that have uh, went past their expiration date of when you know the artist can get them back because I haven't seen all Sanctuary Records uh, return to like uh, their artists yet. But I do know that uh, Joey's did. And and I know that the Anthrax record did as well. Uh, we've come for you all, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I'm wondering when this went back to went back to Joey's estate because if I'm not mistaken, there was either a repressing and or re-release or a record store day re-release and or repressing of this album. 
Yeah, and I believe it was put out on pink vinyl, and I want to, yeah, I want, yeah. I want to say that was could be mistaken, but I, I really want to say like 2012. So that would have been a 10 year mark after the release of the album. So would that so, that sounds like it could be correct as far okay. as like the time. That makes frame. sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. And now, uh, go ahead. So no, no, I was, I was. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I want to come back to the Marky thing because I, I found this quote in this in one of the books, but continue with what you're saying. Continue your thought. So, um, just uh, scrolling through and looking right now, um, this album on Spotify is, um, released, copyrighted, published 2002 Sanctuary Records Group, LTD, BMG Company. So, I'm, that, that's, uh, that's interesting too, that they're still labeling it under, um, Sanctuary, Sanctuary BMG. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, so this, uh, you know, is continue what you were saying, Lou. No. So, so (laughs) going, going on that whole idea of like how Mark was, was brought into this album. So one of the books I know that I've referenced this before, um, when we've talked about the Ramones, you know, any number of times or whatever. Um, it's, I, and I got this back in high school. It's a Ramones complete twist of history by Dick Porter. Um, so he had found this quote from Mark, and I wanted to read it to you because I, I found it very, very humorous for a number of reasons, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was the only Ramon to see him in the hospital, and I was the only Ramon who played on his solo album. We were the closest. We fought the most, but made up the most. Johnny and Dee Dee didn't talk to him for almost 18 years, and they never made up. But that's their choice. They had deeper issues. So my issue with that, my issue with with that statement, it doesn't make sense. Well, one, CJ has went on record to say that he saw Joey before he died, too. It doesn't make sense to say that Johnny and Dee Dee didn't talk to him for 18 years because fucking Johnny and Dee Dee, they played together. Or, I'm sorry, Joey and Dee Dee played together. Yep. In New York City, fucking 06, 07, something like that. There's like... It's when Dee Dee has his fucking head like shaved. Who and, like? It's oh, who? The, uh, like, wait, not, bl- not blonde, but like, like there's pictures of them playing. Wait, they're, who? They're, who's that? We're talking Joey? Dee Dee and Joey. So, so basically, I'm talking Dee Dee and Joey. Yeah, that was like '99. I thought that was. I thought that was late. Oh, okay, all right, but still, 18 years. That doesn't fit the timeline of what Mark's talking about. No. When did he make that quote? Uh, it doesn't say when he made this quote, but I can tell you when the book was released. The book was released in 2004. Yeah, so that doesn't... No. So, so again, so again, if you're going to say shit like that, that, doesn't, that does not make sense, don't fucking say shit like that and then be like, well, that, yeah, that's how it is. I was the only one who recorded his album. These guys didn't talk to him. It's like, what the fuck do you mean? They played shows together <laughs> in New York City. Well, fuck- well, at that point, yes, the the Johnny one could could be correct. That, but that saying- one, I that one I can go with. But the Dee Dee thing doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Um, and then to to play it up like it's like, well, you know, we always got along the best. It's like, well, you know, you guys definitely drank together. It's like I can see that being a thing. I know, think like, uh, I think that's uh, I think that's highly inaccurate because. I think they yes they fought the most yes they might have made up the most but they definitely fought the most but mm-hmm. listen 
that doesn't mean you got along with him the best then. That means you fought with him the best. You just happened to make up with him. But CJ, who is often Mark likes to throw under the, the rug and say, you know, he's not uh, a real member or things like that. It's bullshit. But as we've talked about a million times, but CJ was the closest one out of any of the members ever to Joey, without a doubt. Because mm. yeah. CJ has said it. Joey was his guy. Like, Joey, Joey's the guy he could hang out with, you know, Mark or Marky was like a drinking buddy at the time. And obviously, uh, CJ married his niece at one point, but Joey is the guy that they would go to, that CJ would go to shows with, would actually be social outside of band obligations, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and John was more the consummate father figure type leader, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, exactly. So what tracks on here do you think stand out? Because honestly, I don't skip a track when I listen to this record. The only so uh, uh, the only the only song in here that I'm not super crazy about and there's reasons why. I'm not crazy about Mr. Punchy and I just there's something that throws me off when you hear when you hear that fucking like when you hear Captain Sensible you know, like he talks and he does this little monologue like yeah. thing in, in there. And it's like, it's fine. It works with the song, but that's the only song that kind of fucks with me a little bit. Um, overall, dude, I think it's fucking awesome. Um, I mean, spirit of my house. I, that to me is a Ramones, uh, fucking Daniel Ray signature, you know, 1993. Yeah. That that's, could, that could have been on Mondo Bizarro for sure. That's the sound, dude. That's the Ramon. That's an early early nineties Ramones sound that could have easily been su- supplemented on on that fucking on that record. Um, that 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 venting fucking song too. I I love the production on that. I think it's fucking it's eerie as shit. Um, and and that's that's what I really think it's is interesting that we're talking about this album too. Is you know obviously this was released as you had said at the top of the episode. This was released after he passed away. Um, and it was more or less pieced together. So it's cool to see how um, a group of producers and musicians can kind of come in behind uh, Joey and put this together for him, in a sense. Yeah. And, and, and pay homage to all of his influences. But, um, dudes, <laughs> I, I did have to jot this down because, like, I knew we were going to talk about it. And I, I don't know if you're a big, like, REM guy, but searching for something, that instrumentation, especially the opening, like, 20 seconds before Joey starts singing, that's a fucking REM song. Like a hundred percent. That's an REM song. Um, I, I, I really, I, I like the majority of, I, I like all the songs on here. Mr. Punchy for whatever reason is the only one. I'm kind of like, I could probably skip this. And and it's, it's exclusively because of Captain Sensible's part. Honestly, you know, it's funny you bring up REM because I literally, I have no real basis for my hatred for REM, but I fucking loathe REM. I don't know why. It's something about Michael Stipe's fucking voice. Okay, that's what I was gonna ask. I was like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Stipe. It's gotta be Stipe. That's what people they either love it or they fucking hate it. Yeah, I can't. I just, I literally, I would listen to like, listen. <clears throat> I don't own the album. But that one, like, fucking banger album that Shania Twain put out, like, in 99, the, man, I feel like a woman, 
fucking that shit. I'll listen to those. So those are some banger pop fucking tracks in the country. Terrible country pop ninety nine. Whenever that album was put out, I'll listen to that. If someone's like, you have to listen to this or REM the rest of your days, I'm picking that all day. <laughs> All fucking, I'll listen to fucking New Kids on the Block, whatever album, even like a fucking whatever Christmas album they put out in like 96 or something like that. I'll listen to that over whatever anybody says R.E.M.'s best record is. I can't do it. I can't. That is so funny to me, dude. And, and uh. Michael Stipe has looked like he's had fucking cancer since the, the three days after the fucking Losing My Religion fucking video. Like... I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. Like I shouldn't have that much hatred towards it. But when I'm listening to like First Wave on Sirius, I literally. I'm just like. I literally want to call them up. And be like, can you just never play REM ever a fucking again? Like so ever. As, as soon as as soon as Radio Free Europe comes on, yeah. you're like fucking done, dude. Change the channel. It like. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. But that's funny. But yeah, so, it's so anyway. So yes, so the, for whatever reason, whether you like him or hate him, the neck. And I'm not trying to ruin the song because it's when I say it sounds like REM. I'm not saying it sounds like Stipe. I'm saying right, right. If, if you listen to it, it sounds like fucking you know fucking Peter Buck and like you know the it, it's it's just the instrumentation behind it. it sounds like it could be something you know <laughs> something uh, something off an REM record. Yeah, but. Uh, but no, dude. Other than that, I, I think I, I would have to agree. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna skip over anything. That would be the only one that I might hit the old next. <laughs> hit the old next on. Yeah, I, I really like uh, Maria Bacharamo. Uh, big fan of that song, "Spirit of My House." Eventing, obviously, you're talking about a song. I'm sure Joey wrote uh, around that late '90s, early 2000 time too. You know, after this is post Columbine, this album came out, so. I'm gonna guess he wrote it around then, because obviously oh, yeah. he's talking about shoot up your fucking school or whatever the fuck the line is. Yeah, in there. Ki- kids killing kids makes society pay. Uh, just blow up your school and have a nice yeah, day. Blow up your school, yeah, have a nice day, dude. If you so, I, I don't know. I know you and I will we'll listen to shit in our cars, you know, on the stereo, whatever. Um, I, in prep, in prep for this episode, I, I re-listened to this again on headphones when I was like working. Um, and that's why I made note of that, like the production value inventing. Dude, check that out. It's there's some weird nuances in there. It's fucking. It's definitely a haunting fucking song. It's creepy. Yeah, but I it's mean, good. It's... it's good. You know, it's it's. I fucking love it. It's just it's really. They tap into some weird shit in that song sonically. Definitely still uh still pretty uh relatable even to this day. You know, years and years and years later. And it was it was written. It says it was written in two thousand one. So, written two thousand one. So, uh, "Spirit of My House" was written two thousand one. Maria Bataramo written two thousand. Did he? I I'm guessing he wrote all these in two thousand one. At least that no. That, that's that's when they were copywritten. At least so it was copywritten probably in two thousand one to get them because I I have a feeling and I think. I think Mickey had said that a couple of these songs had been sitting around for a while. We could obviously say that, you know, a Spirit in My House uh, track type track could definitely have been written in the as a throwaway song at some point in the 90s, um, especially because it's only two minutes and one second long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, yeah, um, the 1969 cover might be my favorite track on this album. It's so fucking good, dude. And that song in general, I mean, I feel like there's been what like 
two or three notable covers of that song. Yeah. And, and like punk history. Um, it's fucking great, dude. It's awesome. And I think it's really, it's, it's cool because I know that obviously I know that the Ramones and the Misfits, you know, a lot of crossover, but I know Joey and I'm pretty sure Jerry were, were tight. Right. Which would make sense in this, in yeah. this regard. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So it's cool to see that. Um, it's cool to see them being able to be brought in for that. Um, but dude, it's, it's a fucking great, it's a great fucking track. It's, it, I, you know, say what you will about acid eaters and uh, the Ramones fucking cover songs like no one's fucking business, man. Yeah, uh, they really do. I think they are probably one of the best bands, uh, at giving re- renditions of, uh, other people's tracks for sure. Well, it's cool to see like what, you know, what Joey's, how Joey's vocals mix with, chud and fucking jerry and shit it's it's cool to see that that them meld together a little bit you know for sure well uh as closing uh you know lou why does this album matter to you this album matters to me um because it was kind of like a i don't want to say diamond in the rough but i had known it existed i was focused on on you know acquiring and and you know, getting my hands on all the other Ramones material. So by the time I had gotten this, it was this, it kind of reinvigorated my, my, you know, my love for the band that never wavered, but it made me appreciate it even more because now it's like, I'm getting the, the, you know, in a sense, the pure artistic vision, at least vocally and, and lyrically of Joey minus the, the, the rest of the band. Um, and that was, it's cool. It's unique. I know sometimes the whole, you know, things being released after someone died, it can get a little weird. Um, you know, see, I think it's called Other Voices by the Doors. Um, you know, the same sort of thing. They released that after um, after Morrison had died, and it's a little weird. But uh, this is great, man. It holds up, and uh, it matters because it it shows, you know, shows Joey. It features him. He, it, it's his time away from being. We are the Ramones. It's like, no, this is this is Joey. This is Joey through and through. Yeah, uh, I couldn't have said it better. And and to me, this album it matters because you know we got the voice. Uh, I mean, at the time we thought just one last time, but we got the voice after his death, and we got a full album of just him. Was very uh, cathartic uh, for anybody that you know was dealing with you know fuck the Ramones like there's no chance of a Ramones show or anything like that or ever hearing his voice again, and we end up getting you know in 2012 another you know piece together uh, posthumously released uh, record but to get uh, to get this one and to have it you know for ten years um, before that second one came out I, I think it was important to Joey's legacy to have him get his. Uh, an album with him, you know, cause the singer more than anybody, the singer is likely, obviously likely to have a solo album. So for Joey to, to get it and for it to be unapologetically and authentically Joey Ramone. And you can see that as a fan, I think it's a, uh, it is, it's a, it's a milestone for his singing career and for him to get this album and obviously pass away, uh, I'll almost, uh, about a year before uh it's uh it sucks that we lost him but i'm so grateful that we got this record we end up getting another one the you know record like i said um but this is uh this one's a fun record and it's uh it's very joey and you could see joey 
clearly through his uh, through his songs in this one, and uh, that's why it matters because you know this is uh, you know for ten years this is the last before that second album you know this was the last we were gonna get of new Joey Ramone songs. So I mean I hope they they find another you know batch of songs that he recorded vocals for and they release it because uh, keep it coming. We need uh, Joey Ramone to stay alive and well in uh at least in in audio files for uh for time uh for time to come be it physical or uh digital agreed well uh there's another episode of albums that uh matter we got uh you know uh, at some point we're gonna have to do the dd king uh standing in the spotlight album and that one i feel like will probably be Maybe one of the most fun episodes we could possibly do. Dude, I am uh, I am 100% on board for that episode. <laughs> like, that needs to happen. Oh, it, it, it ha- absolutely has to. Um, but yeah, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and uh, wherever else. Um, leave us uh, reviews, comments, all that uh, happy horse shit, but... Uh, but Lou, did you want to? Uh, did we want to uh, talk about the when we're possibly going to see uh, live shows here? Now that uh, you and I have uh, combined forces, and you've uh, brought me along on the uh, the ride for the uh, Burger Creek Productions. Um, unfortunately, during the worst possible time, uh, this venture was dived into. <laughs> yeah, we'll do we'll do a little hot take on this. So uh, yeah, so essentially, to to give a little background. Um, you know, I'd found it, quote unquote, founded this uh, this production company, uh, more or less just to put on shows, uh, playing with uh, Nine Boat Short for the last couple of years, playing around the Northeast and stuff. It's been great, uh, you know, getting to know a lot of these different bands from those states, um, Vermont, Mass, fucking Connecticut, Jersey, etc. A lot of really cool guys and gals uh, that are super talented. And it's kind of one of those things like, you know, why not? why not continue to work with them? You know, basically book the bands that, that I want to see and, and, and have them play local. And it was just kind of that, that romantic idea. It stemmed into getting together and, and lining up and booking two shows, um, that, uh, were ultimately canceled slash need to be rescheduled to be determined. Um, so, so yeah, I got the idea prior to this all fucking quarantine shit going down is to, to bring you on Jesse, because a, you're, you're a good human being and you, uh, you also have fantastic taste in music. And basically the idea being, I would be kind of the capital region, uh, you know, arm of, of this company. And you would be the, you would be the Syracuse, uh, or CNY based, uh, arm of the company. So, um, again, it was just something to do for labor of love, you know, and it didn't end up happening, but the idea is still there. I'm still trying to keep uh, keep up to date, still talk with the bands and stuff. Um, you know, so when this all blows over, I, I dude, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm I'm trying to be uh, I'm trying to be positive about it. I'm trying to think that maybe if in the event a lot of these venues are closing down, we'll see a resurgence of like house shows or basement shows or garage shows, fucking DIY kind of coming, you know, slithering its way back up from the sewers, as it were, but. Who the fuck knows, man? I, I, I think people are going to be more scared than anything to want to go and do stuff. But I also think that people are just kind of ready. Um, I don't know your take on this, but uh, I want to thank you for jumping on board to do this because I, I was extremely excited about 
putting this all together and making this happen, man. Yeah. Fucking uh, we we got were... a good batch of good batch of bands from out of town, good, yeah. good batch of local bands fucking on board with shit. So it it sucks to to see this all kind of fall apart. But I, I know. Uh we just kind of got the gears turning and the ideas spewing and then this all hit and uh it's just the waiting game now and that's uh that's the way it is uh unfortunately but once it's uh once it's all over uh there'll be shows and there'll be people that are it, 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 when when it's all blown over um i think the uh the silver lining will be people will be more apt to instead of sitting on instagram and scrolling all night they'll be more apt hopefully to go out and catch a small diy punk show yeah absolutely and and either if if you're you're a band you know you're a musician we, we we're gonna try and I, I know we were talking before you and you and i kind of privately judge but you know more or less we're gonna try and stick to, to punk um you know possibly some some metal hardcore whatever um stuff that makes sense um so if if you're even you know if you're a pop punk band whatever or you're, you're a pop punk like vocalist you do a little acoustic thing whatever if you got stuff you got recorded music um, you know, we're, we're on, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, uh, Burger Creek productions at gmail.com, um, for any questions, but, you know, send stuff our way. Uh, you know, we'd love to, to plug you to kind of get into that pipeline that we're, we're trying to build out from here and go from there. Once this all, once this chaos kind of blows over. <laughs> yep. That, that's right. P- plenty of time to prep and prepare. So, uh, so we can be, uh, you know, all, uh, all systems go once this does, uh, uh, you know, all end. Hell yeah. But all right, Lou, thanks again. And this has been uh, an Albums That Matter edition with uh, Joey Ramones, Don't Worry About Me.